Season 4, Episode 37 of Brackets, Bubbles, and Bit Stealers. I am Sam Fetterman. Jonathan Liskin is with me as apparently not always. Sometimes one forgets to set an alarm when we're doing a show. And then the next, for it. That's okay. And then the next day brings my favorite chicken and just doesn't tell me about it. Is there no Canes in Syracuse? No, the nearest Canes is literally Times Square or State College. And Jordan Majewski is here with us as well. Um, took, a li- took a little while to get to him down there, but uh, thanks so much for joining us tonight. Yeah, thanks for having me. All right, so the biggest story in college basketball today is the dominant performance by the number one team in the country that has been playing like it since they got Donovan Klingon back. UConn 99, Xavier 56. I know that they're not number one in the metrics right now, but it's kind of getting hard to argue that a UConn team with a healthy Klingon isn't the best. Do you guys agree? Yeah. I would. Yeah. Their, their metrics are misleading because Klingon missed a month. Like they have a top 10 defense and metrics won't tell you that. Yeah. I just look at what they're able to do on, on that end of the floor. I mean, just the stif- it's stifling, really. They go out there today, it's, what, 10 points in the first 18 minutes? And the, the game's over by the under four timeout of the first half. I mean, they are so dominant. They can win in so many different ways. I just look at this UConn team, and I don't see – I don't really see flaws. I mean, they're playing a lot slower than they did last year. But they can still do basically everything they did last year, just maybe a little slower, and they're not quite as deep. But it's still such a – they're so well coached. They run so much great stuff. I think Dan Hurley over the last couple years has gone from a very good coach that's going to be competitive to arguably the best coach in college basketball over the last two years. And, Jonathan, you texted me today that you said that he's the best in the country. I mean, Mm -hmm. I – argue that right now yeah it's just getting really hard to sit down and watch UConn play and not just notice the amount of different movements and actions that they run and that's I mean that's all Dan Hurley and his staff Jordan yeah he's uh I mean followed a kind of Jay Wright career arc where the narrative was he can't win until he started winning and rarely losing in fact you know so and it's the same thing where you notice how um like technical and x's and o's villanova was on the court and the same is true with yukon like you mentioned just the half court stuff they run is basically unparalleled in the game you know they made xavier who's not you know a great team but certainly a capable team and a well-coached team look like a bye game today and you know it was just never competitive from the first 30 seconds. And yeah, I totally agree. Best coach in basketball right now. Eight Big East wins in a row. Like that just doesn't happen in this era of the Big East where everyone's so competitive. Yeah, only three of those games have been on the road, but they also, and it's not uh, the most difficult stretch of the schedule, but that's still eight straight Big East wins. It's the sixth longest winning streak in the country. And it's he's doing it in the most difficult league to do this consistently, and maybe this in the Big 12. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, it's 
it's hard to see a team that can match up with them when they're fully healthy, you know, like they didn't have Castle in um, uh, at Kansas. And, you know, the two losses, Kansas and Seton Hall, they both kind of were physical with their switching off the ball and kind of pushed, you know, UConn off their spots. But each of those games had kind of a weird, you know, I mentioned Castle, and they basically played Kansas to a draw more or less at Kansas, you know, without Castle. And then Seton Hall, they, you know, had just come back from Gonzaga and, um, you know, Seton Hall was obviously jacked up for that game. But, you know, those two teams did do have similar, like, profiles and that they are physical and switch everything. And so that's, you know, kind of if you want to point out one weakness UConn would have, it's that playing a, a team that has size and can switch on them off the ball, especially. Yeah, but then again, you just look at how hard it is to build a team that is as physical, as athletic, as long, and able to switch with the way Kansas did. I mean, K.J. Adams might be the best defender in the country at just at that specific, at switching that specific action. While, I mean, Seton Hall has got so many big wings and big guards that, I mean, that's kind of their identity as well. There's not a ton of teams that can make that their identity because they don't have those types of bodies. And, yeah. and, and even then, like, UConn can beat teams with great athletes as well. I mean, we've seen it. I mean, St. St. John's is a really athletic team. Carolina has a lot of great athletes, and Indiana's got some great athletes. Texas as well. I mean, UConn can beat really athletic teams. They can beat really unathletic teams. They can beat anyone, and they can basically beat anyone at their own game as well because they're so malleable to doing different things. Yeah. They're just – there's only so many teams that have a player like KJ Adams that can switch and guard four or five positions. Kansas not only has him, like McCullough can probably guard four positions too. Like maybe maybe not a center, but he, he can guard the four others. And then you get maybe the best one of the best defensive point guards in the country as well. Right. And I mean Dickinson was a great matchup for Klingon. So I mean mm-hmm. And they also have Bill's freaking self, so. Right. And, I mean, with Xavier, on, on the other hand, in, in this game, four and five in the Big East in, in year um, year two for Sean Miller, definitely a step back. We expected this. This is three. This is team 344 in minutes continuity. They lost basically everyone from last year. And they're still pretty good in the metrics. I mean, they're 42nd in, in, the Ken, in Ken Palm, which – is higher than I maybe would have expected them. I think I had them around 50 preseason. And that was kind of just because that was when the news broke that Fremantle and Hunter wouldn't be playing. So I probably would have moved them down further. But they've taken some tough losses. They've had some good performances. I still think that at the end of the day, they will screw something up for somebody in the Big East. Oh, absolutely. Jonathan? Yeah, I'm with you there. I think they're properly kind of rated in the metrics right now. Like, sitting around 42nd. I was like you. I had them around 50th in the preseason. Like, they still scrap. They still they still have some talented players, but it's just their front court depth is so thin. And, like, if, if – UConn was just running circles around them today. It was really interesting to see. Yeah, I think you hit it on the head. They'll make somebody's life miserable one night in the Big yeah. East, but not a Seton tournament Hall's team. Probably, 
one of those teams are going to give a, a bubble team like Seton Hall, Providence, or Butler, or somebody late in the year, a, you know, a loss that they had to win, basically. Yeah. Moving on from that game, um, another big one in the American Conference today between FAU and North Texas. And North Texas has been really, really good over the last month. FAU has played in a lot of close games, but they've won a lot of close games as well. I believe after today, 16-4 and four in games decided by five points or less or went to overtime over the last two seasons. And that, from today, John L. Davis put on the Superman cape once again and proved why he's an All-American. Yeah, I think for so long this season, much of the dialogue around FAU was like, oh, they're so confusing. Oh, we can't figure them out. Like, at this point... FEU just, they are what they are. And that's a team that plays to the level of competition, no matter really who it is. Like they play good against good teams. They play bad against bad teams. And you mentioned the close game stuff. I know winning close games is like hard to be repeatable, but to FAU's point, they have multiple guys that are really good isolation scorers. And then they have Dusty May. So good isolation scorers, good coach. It's a recipe to win close close games that's going to work for you a lot of the time and they've shown that late jordan yeah fau was just destined to be a lightning rod this year after you know just wildly overperforming expectations last year there was no chance that they were going to not have you know games and losses where everybody was like you know what the hell's with this team i knew that they were overrated or whatever but um, it was really interesting, the game today against North Texas, a 60-possession game, which you expected with North Texas and two teams who know each other so well from um, the CUSA uh, games. Um, but North, or, uh, sorry, Florida Atlantic had the most um, transition possessions North Texas has allowed in, I think, three and a half years. So they were really hunting that early offense, which worked out for them before North Texas could get that no middle defense set up. And, um, you know, it's funny to say in a 60 possession game that their transitions won it, but uh, that's basically what happened. They got yeah. enough early buckets to make the difference. Yeah. Last year, FAU's hallmark was they can, they can, they can beat you at your game, no matter what your game is. They played 84 possessions against Bryant, 75 against FIU. Like last year, they played ridiculous amounts of possessions against some teams and then they would play 55 possession games against North Texas and they swept them. Right. They they are kind of similar this year. I mean they played they they killed Liberty in a slow game. They they beat North Texas in a slow game. And then they can beat Tulane in a fast game. They can beat they can boat race Virginia Tech. They can beat Butler in fast games. They can still kind of do that. And the problem though for FAU has just been they become so reliant on Davis because Martin's not quite been himself all year. Boyd's been in and out of the lineup and like Golden's been great, but maybe not quite as reliable as you want him to be. And Davis has just masked all of that enough to the point where this is still a comfortable firm tournament team at the moment, sitting 17 and four. And with John L. Davis, 28 today, he had 34 against UTSA, 30 against UAB. He's putting on the cape every week, and we, we discussed this with Rocco like last week. This is not the season FAU wanted to have, but they've had to get this from John L. John L. Davis, and they've gotten it from John L. Davis. Yeah, the crazy thing is that they're actually a better 
by the metrics almost across the board offensive team than they were last year against a significantly harder schedule too. So, you know, people kind of overlook that when they're like, what's wrong with FAU? And sure, you know, there are some <laughs> bizarre losses, Bryant, FGCU, uh, Charlotte, who's actually um, way overperforming uh, their expectations as well. But, you know, there's really nothing wrong with FAU. But like you said, some minor, like, you know, Martin's not the same player, but yeah, they're still an elite offensive team against an extremely difficult schedule. So, you know, I don't know what it's, it's all nitpicking after that, yeah. you know, and they, they do need Giancarlo Rosado back like that. That makes them, that gives them just another element because they end up relying more on golden and he's not been as reliable as maybe some of the top bigs in the country. He's been very good, but you can't go ask him to play as big of a role and as often as they need him to play when Rosado's out. So Rosado's yeah. important. Any foul trouble whatsoever from Golden is, you know, uh, death for them in terms of front court depth. Yeah, and the thing about North Texas, though, is, and I, I, I've said this on Twitter multiple times this year, that this year for North Texas feels more like a continuation of the Grant McCasland era than the Grant McCasland era at Texas Tech does. And yeah. We, we kind of discussed this a little bit last night, how Texas Tech's become this offensive team under McCasland, and North Texas is still doing the North Texas stuff. I mean, Ross Hodge, great Juco recruiter, brought in a bunch of fun guys this year. And, I mean, they got that big win against SMU this week that we discussed on Thursday, and they play FAU really tough. They're not yeah. going to make the NCAA tournament, but this is a, a fun program to monitor. I mean – North Texas probably wins this game today if Reuben Jones plays. Uh, you know, they're 6'5", best on-ball defender, and, you know, John L. Davis was basically the only offense for FAU. You think he at least takes several buckets away from Davis with his presence alone. So, you know, um, yeah, it stinks for them that Jones couldn't got re-injured. Yeah, and the other, the other fairly interesting result from that league today is now Memphis sits 15 and five, three losses in a row after UAB wins 97 to 88. Memphis allows 97 points to a UAB team that, I mean, is eighth in the American in offensive efficiency. A UAB team that has been up and down all year and really kind of tough to figure out. And then Memphis has been just playing bad basketball now for about a month since the van since they beat Virginia. They've just been playing bad basketball. Um now they don't they don't have Mills. They bring Jordan Brown back to the program and I don't understand really what they're trying to get out of Jordan Brown because I don't think he I don't think he wants to be there. I don't think anyone I don't think the team wants him there. I think he's just there to collect the check basically. Yeah, I think Memphis like we talked about this. Memphis is kind of been playing with fire for a while and then once like over the last couple of weeks they've really started to lose games like the close games that they were winning started turning into close losses and then UAB just comes out and really controls most of the second half today I mean this is a team UAB team that's solid but this right now is just more about Memphis not playing together and overall not being a very good basketball team yeah I mean even their you know, this is a team that was built on their um, their resume was built on their non-conference wins. And every single one of those is basically devalued with each passing week. 
So, you know, even that, that, that ground is starting to crumble. Um, so, you know, and the, the quotes from Penny in post game are always doomsday with him, but he's always maintained that this is a team that, you know, has no connection. They, uh, you know, play, um, you know, he's made multiple comments about how he only has one basketball and all this. And, you know, usually that's par for the course for Penny, but that's really coming home to roost with them lately. Um, so, yeah, it's not a pretty scene right now for them. But, you know, it's hard to count them out given the talent level they have and, um, you know, that just the fact that they have so many legitimate scorers. Um, but, yeah, it's just a lot of desperate, par- desperate parts right now that are finally uh, – not coming together in the close games. This has to be, this has to be a wake up call for Memphis. And the other thing with Penny that I've said for years, and Jonathan, you've also said this for years, they will always come out for the big games. They always have Penny always put, they would always smack Houston around and, and get into rock fights with Houston and play the tournament games really close. And no matter what they would show up when it mattered, but it was always the inconsistency where I think the coaching staff, the players would overlook games on their schedules. They wouldn't have good game plans coming out. This next game against Rice on Wednesday, Rice is really bad. For They are one and six in the American. But this next game against Rice has to be treated like it's their national championship. They need to come out and make a statement. Because the least athletic team in the league. So if they, yeah, don't just absolutely pace them with their athleticism, then it's it's definitely doomsday time. Yeah, because we're we're looking at even if they like beat Rice, but it's uninspiring, they're gonna drop the metrics because they are a 16 point Ken Palm favorite there. They're already 60th in Ken Palm. They're near that in the net. This, I mean, this isn't this wasn't close to a quadrant one win for UAB, and. Just imagine saying that like a month ago when they were when Memphis was right. nine and two and climbing and being and looked like they were the top fifteen team in the country after Christmas. Yeah, I think Sam, you tweeted this earlier today, but their resume is also just completely unrecognizable from what we thought it was going to be when they were winning all these games. All, all the teams that they scheduled from the Atlantis tournament to just all the home away non-con games they scheduled. Those teams aren't good. They're not like they didn't schedule tournament teams. And it's not really Memphis's fault that those teams are playing that way, but it's kind of just, it is, it is what it is at this point. They have two quadrant one wins right now, Texas A&M on the road. And that that's going to stay quadrant one. Mm-hmm. A&M is 45th. So that would have to get really bad. But the other one is Clemson at home. Clemson's 28th. So if Clemson comes out and doesn't play to expectation against Louisville on Tuesday, that game could drop to quad two. That, then Clemson also has to play Virginia this week. Then they play North Carolina. There's a good chance that that game doesn't end up quad one because, look, Clemson themselves only has two quad one opportunities remaining. I mean, they could. There's a legit shot Memphis ends ends the season with one quadrant one win from their from their non conference slate. 
Mm-hmm. And I mean, they, this is a team that visited um, three teams that made the sorry visited three teams that made the NCAA tournament last year in the non-conference schedule. Visited a fourth team that hired a coach that made the NCAA tournament basically every year, and played neutral games against NCAA tournament projected teams, three of them, and then hosted. <sighs> Um, two of the teams that were projected to be best in the ACC. I mean, they it was a great schedule. It's just been really just ridiculous how poorly it's aged. Yeah. Yeah. Moving. Those teams was Arkansas because they're similar in a lot of ways. You know, a lot of uh, ISO guys who aren't um, really gelling together. And, uh, you know, Arkansas is having – Kind of the same season Memphis, but to a much more extreme. Yeah, I mean Arkansas. We didn't really get into this last night, but they they lost. They now lost. They lose Debo Davis. Um, just leaves the program, and I mean he wasn't playing as well as he had been in the past, but just mm-hmm. to abruptly leave the program after 121 games as a hog. The guy was a hog legend, and he. This okay. is how he leaves. Still got another year of eligibility, and I'm sure there are going to be a lot of high major coaches that are going to hit up his phone and say, "Hey, we need a defensive stopper that can be a secondary or tertiary scoring option," and that's that's what he can be somewhere. Mm-hmm. Um, aside from the whole Arkansas situation, the other notable result from today came in the MAC. Actually, we, we tend not to talk much about the Mac on this podcast because I do so much talking about the Mac everywhere else. But Quinnipiac goes to Fairfield, improves to 16 and four in Tom Pecora's first year, seven wins in a row for the Bobcats. They just have, they, they out physical Fairfield today and they made the shots when it mattered. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I didn't get to watch much of that one. I, um, was traveling today, but I was keeping up with your tweets as usual, Sam. And, uh, yeah, um, sounded like, uh, a wild game. Tice went down late. Is that accurate? Yeah. yeah Tice went down in with like 25 seconds left. Ooh. It might've been the right shin. That's what, um, that's what Ethan Hurwitz Quinnipiac Chronicle said. Um, we'll get updates on that probably by their next game. I'll reach out and try to figure stuff out. But yeah, what a difference um, Lewis is and, you know, Pecora is just maximizing him so much that, uh, yeah, you know, Quinn, them and Fairfield were the two surprise teams for me in the MAC. I just didn't know how to evaluate Fairfield really after, you know, their surprising offseason. Um, but yeah, they're also their talent level and, um, just, you know, what they can get out of the wings is so impressive. Yeah, I mean, I come into the season thinking these are like these are mediocre Mac teams I come in thinking and I'm coming thinking what's going to change this year. And what changes is that Jalen Leach finally becomes a, the star that Fairfield had been hoping he'd become for the last four years. And Bryson Goodine steps up and Caleb Fields is so much more consistent and they don't need as much out of him and Fairfield, everything seems to be clicking. And then for Quinnipiac on that side, you get Savion Lewis becomes one of the best playmakers in the country. I mean, last year he 
last year he was not a great offensive player at all. This year he's one of the best point guards in the country right now, and that's just been such a strong development for them. They have so much physicality in the interior with Tice just um, being able to grab rebounds and Otieno doing what he does. I've just been really impressed with what Pacora has been able to get out of this uh, Quinnipiac group. Jonathan, do you have anything? Have you watched a single second of them this year? No, I didn't watch this game today. Um, haven't really watched a ton of Mac this year. I know the league is like super confusing, and I guess teams are starting to separate themselves at the top. But sounds like a sounded like a really good game today. Super good, good defense. But yeah, I mean that's your neck of the woods. So I'll, I'll let you handle that. Jonathan, you know what it's time for. I think it's time for a Valley update. Sam. It's time for the Valley update. Let's go. Okay. So I focused really on two games yesterday and I talked about it a little that the top four teams in the league were playing yesterday. Indiana state Bradley was a really good one. Indiana state pulled away in overtime. I was really impressed with Bradley in this one. I know they lost. It was on the road, but they were with them the entire way. I don't think Indiana state's lead ever got more than like six or seven Bradley's a team that typically doesn't like to play super fast. They're really good defensively, but they were able to stay in a game the entire time that Indiana State had 1.3 points per possession. It was a really good night for the entire Bradley starting starting five. This team's just super balanced, and they're going to continue to be a tough out. And I think you can we can probably comfortably say that they're in the top tier in the league now that they're healthy and have Connor Hickman back. Duke Dean was also just phenomenal yesterday. And then on the Indiana State side, you know, balanced scoring attack from them. Typical Josh Schertz game they're spacing was really good. Robbie Avila was making a ton of plays. Julian Larry nearly had a steal to win it in regulation, but it was called a foul. And then the other one I kind of focused in on was Drake in Northern Iowa. It was announced like 15 minutes before tip that Bowen Bourne wasn't playing. And my main takeaway from that was really that R.J. Taylor played a ton yesterday. He hasn't been playing a ton this year, but he got 24 minutes yesterday. Played all right. I think he's a really good freshman. I liked him coming out of high school. He's just unfortunately got one of the better guards in the country playing in front of him. I also was really impressed by Titan Anderson. He's listed as a guard, but he doesn't play at all like a guard. Really good using his shoulder and using his body and strength in the low post. Really a tough time for Drake guarding him yesterday. And he's only 6'6", so it's not like you can put a center on him. And then on the Drake side, obviously, without Bowen Bourne, this is a win you should come away with at home pretty much every time. They struggled a little. I think Northern Iowa even led at the half. But one thing I noticed is Tucker DeVry takes a ton of shots, and he obviously should. But I think Drake takes some really bad shots at, at times, which leads to their offense being a little stagnant and other teams making runs. That happened in the first half a little too much yesterday for my liking, but Bulldogs had a big second half, pulled away with a 14-point win. Let's see what else did we have. Uh, I'm not going to talk as much about these other games, but Southern Illinois got a really good win at Murray State. It was low scoring. They were down eight at half and came back to, to win it. Really good game for Xavier Johnson, who hit the game winner. Obviously one of the better scorers in the country. Evansville got a home win over Illinois State team that had been playing well yesterday, 58-54. Missouri State beat Valpo's probably the worst team in the league this year, unfortunately. Like UIC's competitive with a lot of teams, but and Valpo's got a first-year head coach in Roger Powell, who I like, but it's going to take him some time to get things going there. And then Belmont, who was playing just not very great the last couple of weeks, beats UIC at home. It was an obvious get-right game for them that they needed 
to win, and they did. I think they ended like a four-game losing streak. Let's see if they can get it rolling now. They just they haven't looked great so far in conference play. Like they lost at Illinois State by ten, got killed at Bradley. Like they had lost four straight games, and all of them were by double digits. I like this Belmont team's talent, but they're going to really need to start figuring it out. And if they want to make some noise in this league, that's it for our Valley update. Sam. Thank you, Jonathan, for updating us on one of the great mid-major leagues out there. Jordan, do you have anything to add there? Um, Yeah, that was, yeah, great update. Um, I'm a Mo Valley guy. I'm from Terre Haute originally. So I have gone to like every Indiana state home game from like the eighties till 2000 when I, moved away and went to IU. Um, so yeah, it's really exciting to see the atmosphere at Holman Center um, yesterday for that Bradley game. Um, Shirts mentioned how tired Indiana State was. They had come from uh, uh, Chicago for UIC, um, had less prep than Bradley, one day less prep, but still he talked about how tired they were. Um, and yeah, great atmosphere. I'm glad they didn't um, blow that game because that's something home center hasn't seen a lot of a sold out crowd lately for a huge nationally televised game. Um, but yeah, uh, you know, big one with Drake for, uh, Indiana state, um, this Saturday and, uh, Drake really, um, exploited some mismatches with DeVries as they tend to do. But yeah, uh, Jonathan mentioned it with Drake. Their shot selection, they are 248th in shot selection for shot quality, 11th in shot making. So, you know, there are going to be those stretches where if the shots don't fall, they're taking some really awful shots, leads to some, uh, you know, easy transition opportunities with the way from where they shoot the ball as well. Um, so, yeah, Saturday, huge game. Yeah, I mean, we there's a good chance we end up leading the show with that unless there's well, Tennessee, Kentucky. His son is that day in Houston, Kansas. Oh my God! And Duke, UNC. Next Saturday <laughs> is nuts. It's the best slate of the. Yeah, season. we will not be leaving the show with Drake, Indiana <laughs> State. I can say that for sure. But next Saturday, wow, that might be the best slate of the season. I mean, yeah. Yeah. I didn't even mention UConn is playing at the Garden. Like, <laughs> that's I've, I've had this. I've had this day marked for a pretty long time. I typically don't like look ahead all that much in terms of like days on the calendar, but whenever I click on one on Ken Palm, that that one is up there with the best. Absolutely. Another thing we didn't really get into last night, Jonathan, I'm sure you saw a lot more of it than I did, but Duke escapes with a win against Clemson. Duke kind of had control of this game for a long time. And then Clemson kind of, chipped back in and eventually Duke was able to come away with the victory, but a lot of controversy surrounding that um, call at the end. Yeah. I'm like not super interested in like debating whether it was or wasn't a foul. Like it, it just is what it is. The game, the game result is what it is. What I'm more interested in is the fact that like, I just, I don't know if Duke has like quite figured out who they are yet. Like they were, when I watch them, they run good stuff. They, they're they a good shooting team. They hit a lot of threes. They shoot a very high percentage, and they don't turn it over. But it, it seems like we don't really know what we're getting from a lot of their players, and honestly, all of their players not named like Jared McCain at this point. Like Proctor and Mitch, Mitchell have come on lately. Filipowski is just 
don't get me wrong, very good player, but it's just very frustrating to see him score 27 one game and the next game he's four of 14 from the field. And I think he was like, I'm dumping six of 12 at the line yesterday. Yeah. He's his free throw percentage has dropped 10% this year. Roach didn't have a great game yesterday either, but he got hurt on Tuesday. And so I don't really read too much into that. And it's just at this point, like it's just tough to like know who you're going to get to play well on each night. And as a coach, I think that makes that tough because like it's harder to like know, hey, we're running this set to this guy. We're running, doing this for this guy. It's just ca- kind of tough to figure that out. Jordan? Yeah, um, I agree. You never see Flip really impose his will on a game, and which is kind of what you need from him sometimes. And, uh, you know, they have dealt with key guys being out of the lineup, like Mitchell especially and Roach. Um, but, you know, they're really young in key spots. And uh, for a team that has, like, a lot of um, minutes, <sighs> they're still really young overall. Uh, and that shows up a lot of times. And especially in, like, their ball screen coverages, they get kind of torched by inferior teams that way. Like, two of the bigger ball screen usage teams in the ACC, Georgia Tech and Pitt, who are not two of the better overall teams in the ACC – kind of, you know, um, ran all over them in ball screens. like uh, So, you know, there's uh, – and that speaks to, like, their just inability to communicate defensively. But, yeah, there's always something when I watch Duke that I'm like, this isn't quite right. Um, and, you know, that's hard to say when the team's still the best offensive team in the ACC. But, yeah, there's times when they just are not playing as well as they should be for – the talent they have on that roster. Yeah. And I, I do think that like we are like, this is still a 15 and four basketball team that still has opportunities to win huge games. I mean, they'll, they go to the Dean dome next Saturday. That's going to be an Epic game. Those games are always, those games are always battles. I can't think of a Duke UNC game that wasn't a battle. And that's going to and they they could win that game they could beat unc i think i think unc isn't quite as good as some people say they are um but i i just look at i just look at that game and say hey that's a chance to make a statement it's not i know it's on the road but it's a chance to make a statement and they don't have another like super super difficult game after that until carolina again because the acc is weak but they're gonna end this season with they're going to go into the NCAA tournament with 25 wins again. And like that at this point, I know that expectations are always to be the number one team every year, but it's, you can't just that. That's just a wild expectation to have every single year and winning 25 plus games every year should be, it's just fine for the moment. Cause I mean, look, you still got the best recruiting class in the country coming in basically every year. And if you can keep and depending on who you retain and develop, it's it can be difficult, but it could also get it could also get easier down the road for Shire. And I think this is still a really good basketball team that hasn't played their best basketball yet. Yeah. When I saw them at the garden, I was really impressed with what their freshmen could do. When everything's clicking, this is there when everything is clicking for this Duke team, the ceiling 
there's not five teams that are that have a higher ceiling than Duke. No question. Yeah, the game tomorrow will be interesting though. Yeah, you Virginia know. Tech away. That's always a tough one because of how well Virginia Tech um, shoots the ball. They're second in the ACC and three-point percentage. They're number one in the ACC and um, effective field goal percentage. And that's just what that's just what Virginia Tech always does. And Jonathan, yeah. I know that I know that Jonathan doesn't like mentioning that one name. <laughs> no, um, I, I've never enjoyed playing them. Like it's it seems like. They always at least hang around, and you know what Hunter Couture did to us like two two years ago in the ACC title game was. I mean, it was special, like great performance. Yeah, and then some more games that we didn't really get much into tomorrow. I I kind of relayed your Auburn take that like they just can't win the close games. I kind of relayed that to the people for you. We didn't really get into much on. BYU against Texas though and that's for for BYU now that was an important one to have at the Marriott Center you you can't drop that home game to Texas it's a gotta have it can't lose two home games in a row and for Texas I mean look this is they're starting to build their tournament resume but they're they're a tournament team as, as as of right now but it's very tentative because they still have to pick up some more good wins and avoid um, avoid more disaster, I would say. Yeah, yeah. I think overall, te- like we gave Texas rightfully a lot of credit for going out and rebounding the way they did and knocking off Baylor and then beating Oklahoma on the road. But like both Baylor and Oklahoma lost home games yesterday. I, I don't think those teams are quite as good as like maybe we once thought them to be earlier in the year. Don't get me wrong, like both good wins for Texas, but like maybe not as good as like people were making it out to be at some point. Yeah, huge opportunity tomorrow with um, Houston coming to Austin, uh, but that is not a great matchup for them. I mean, Rodney Terry versus Kelvin Sampson on short prep, um, and we saw what Houston just did to the smaller guards of Kansas State, like Tyler Perry. And, you know, they could absolutely eat Aismas and um, Hunter alive tomorrow. Yeah, I just look at what um, Texas and I just look at what Texas brings to the table. And I, I've, I've never been high on this team. I didn't think they were all that great in the preseason when they were in the top 25. I, I didn't think they were all that great when I saw them in New York at the Empire Classic. And I, I mean, it stems back to last year where I was unimpressed with Rodney Terry. And I said that they would probably regret giving him the full-time job. And look, I just don't think this team has that level of punch that they need to in this conference. But if they can pick up some more solid wins, then they'll probably find themselves in the tournament. And we know that they have a good, they have an excellent backcourt. It's just that I don't. I never thought that it really worked together, and I still don't think it really works together. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, they get some, somewhat of a pass for um, Disu not being healthy until, you know, uh, not truly healthy until recently. And he's, you know, legitimately changed their offense recently. Uh, he's been nothing short of phenomenal. But um, so you know, there it, there is some hope for them overall as 
you know, they have at least a ceiling to achieve. Um, but yeah, tomorrow we will learn a lot about Texas with Yisu because, I mean, besides not being able to score from the backcourt, you can't score from the post against Houston. So, you know, that's kind of uh, why they're so good. But you look at BYU then on the other hand, and something that they've really, really struggled with in um, in the Big 12 is just they've been fouling a lot and they haven't been getting to the line a lot. They're dead last in both of those. I don't know if there's any other team that's dead last in both of those metrics in their conference, but that's an important win for BYU to have. It, it's a got to have it. And they're going to be a super variance team because of how many threes they take, but they only took 17 against Texas. And it was a complete offensive performance, 16 assists. They had 1.3 points per possession and they don't need to be reliant on the three to win. And that's kind of what I think Mark Pope needs to continue to instill from what they did against Texas. You don't need to, sh- you don't need to shoot 35 threes a game to win. They have guys that can create their own shot. They have guys that can really pass. They have basically everyone on the floor is a threat to pass the ball. Everyone on the floor is a threat to kind of get to the, maybe not get to the basket, but get to a spot. And they need to stop relying on just chucking up a million threes because they're in the Big 12, you're not going to win enough games to – I mean, they built themselves a buffer with the non-conference, but typically if you just chuck up threes, you're not going to win enough games in the Big 12 to make the NCAA tournament. Yeah, and um, similar to um, Disu coming back for Texas, uh, Traore being health, healthy for BYU, he was their best player yesterday against Texas. And which is why they only shot 17 threes because he was actually a legitimate um, rim threat and rim option. So, you know, they will have more balance going forward with him healthy, I think. Um, So, yeah, they, which makes them even tougher to prep for then because they don't have to run all that um, five out zoom action with Khalifa. You know, they have someone who can come in and give them 20 minutes of actual, um, you know, paint presence. Yeah, I didn't I didn't really get into much yesterday on the UC San Diego result against UC Davis. But yeah. kind of kind of taking kind of taking a big detour here. But we talked a little bit about UC San Diego during the week and just how impressed we've been with how they've just totally shot up the rankings, shot up everything. 8 and 1 in the Big West. They can't even make the tournament this year. Eric Olin is a name to think about <laughs> right now because of what he's been able to do with this team. Bryce Pope is incredible. He scored 29 yesterday. They killed Davis. And Davis is good. Like Davis is a good team. They killed him. Yeah. Yeah. Um, a few weeks ago on my site, I wrote a big thing about, I think, UCSD and CSUN were both at like four and one at the time. And I, you know, which both are super surprising in big West play. So I was like, which one of these is legit and which one is not. I said, UCSD was legit. CSUN was not. And they have both um, fulfilled that prophecy so far. Um, But yeah, UCSD, they have, I make a point to what stay up and watch them. They have um, just the best spread pick and roll offense I think I've seen at the mid-major level. And they have like three or four guards 
or guys who all take the ball screen, and uh, especially the uh, New Zealand guy, Tate Jones, has been incredible in that role. He's uh, like 6'6", six, 6'7", six, six, and does absolutely everything. A matchup nightmare in that league. Um, so, yeah, they are legit. And the knock on them was always their academics kept a lot of guys out that they wanted to recruit. Um, but, yeah, he's – Olin's got, you know um, – a veteran team this time and is proving it tough offense to match up with. Yeah. I'm just trying to think what else did we really not get into yesterday? I mean, Eastern Kentucky and North Florida was a game that matched two of the top teams in the ace sun. I'm not sure Jonathan, if you watched much of either, but I've definitely been able to keep tabs on EKU um, in the conference slate. And I've just been, impressed with the way that they've kind of controlled games more. They kind of let games get away from them in the non-conference slate and teams were just shooting incredibly well. And now the teams aren't shooting quite as well. It's allowing them to run their offense and not just have to, and not just have to kind of chuck up a lot of shots and try and chase leads. Cause when they can control games, it makes them so much better. Cause look, if you're trying to force teams to come inside and play against um, Isaiah Cozart, who's maybe the best rim protector in mid-major basketball, it's not going to end well for the offense. So that's so as long as teams aren't making forty-four percent of their threes, I think they're I think they're the worst. They have the number three sixty-two three-point defense in the country, but they're seven percent better in conference play than they are overall. I don't even know what the number is in non-conference play, and I don't really even want to know. But the fact of the matter is that. They're making their their defense feeds into their offense because they are shooting less threes because they don't have to because they're not chasing. And when they are able to get to the basket, because they have a lot of guards that can they have a lot of guards that can pass. They have a lot of guards that can get to the rim. That's something that is just making their offense more malleable. And they're now seven and oh in the A sun and they look like the clear top team. Yeah, hundred uh, percent. You know, you mentioned it. It's having a guy like Cozart when you press at one of the highest rates in the country. Like he has to lead the country in track down blocks. Um, you know, it's crazy. A team that is, I think, let me look it up. Three hundred twenty fourth in average height per Ken Palm has a top forty two point percentage defense and the best two point percentage defense in the A Sun. So, you know, having that rim protect level of rim protection when you press like that on the back end is incredible. And yeah, the biggest thing is they're hitting 42% of their threes in league play and teams are no longer hitting 42% of their threes against them. Yeah, they've gone from 300, the dead last in three point percentage defense um, overall, but second in the A Sun in three point percentage defense. So I just, opened, I just I just opened up my Twitter feed and Rick Pitino is in Albuquerque. Nice. <laughs> I just I just didn't think that he would be that he would go in the middle of the season. I know that St. Yeah. John's is a week off, but like that's just a wild thing. To yeah, think that's about. not a, not a quick jaunt out to Albuquerque. You know, that's. <laughs> I want them to play each other next year. I know they played Iona played New Mexico last year, and they were gonna play this year if Pitino stayed, but. That would have been fun. Um, Super Bowl matchup is set, by the way. 
it is a rematch of the Super Bowl from 20. What what Super Bowl number? Was it was that? technically 2020, but it was the 2019 season. What 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 Super Bowl number was that? I'm terrible with Super Bowl numbers. Oh, me too. I, ever since the Patriots stopped winning them, I forgot. <laughs> I think that was 54. That sounds right. Yeah, that, that was 54 because the Patriots won 53. All right. Matchup is set. We'll get in we'll get into that in two weeks on the Super Bowl special. That's a totally different thing, independent from the podcast, but I'll plug it right now. Um now. Jonathan, you kind of texted me yesterday. You didn't really have any major takeaways. Do you yeah. still feel that way? So I don't know if it was because like yesterday just felt like there were, I guess, less like major upsets. Not a ton of big teams were falling, but it just like didn't feel like we learned much about a lot of teams yesterday. Like, I think Auburn was probably, like, my main takeaway. Like, the fact that they're not great in close games, to put it lightly. But overall, just, like, I watched a lot of teams and I came away thinking, like, okay, like, this is kind of who I thought they were. This is kind of how they've been playing at either their best or at their median sort of level. So, yeah, I just, like, didn't have a ton of, like, overreaction major takeaways. Like, it, it, to put it simply, there, wa- there wasn't anything yesterday that was, like, seemed like it was, like, setting Twitter on fire during the day. The one team that I'm that I'm starting to think, like, a lot differently about than I thought preseason, and we got into this last night, was Texas Tech. They mm-hmm. are just – I'm just – starting to watch them a little bit more. I didn't really watch their non-conference stuff. I didn't really watch their first few games. But I I, I checked out some of their Oklahoma game. Um, I checked out some of the film from it. Checked out some of the film from the BYU game. They are just the, the opposite of what I thought they would be. And, again, I remember I said this offseason, Pop Isaacs is Big 12 Chucky Hepburn. But he's been a legit number one for them. And I, I thought that they would be an elite interior defense with the guys they brought in from Arizona State plus McCasland, but it just hasn't been that way. But you get Chance McMillan off the bench to score 27 yesterday, and they are running good stuff. They're hitting shots, and, I mean, McCasland is – I mean, I know Rothstein's tagline is Miracle Mac. It just kind of feels – I remember what I said about them was they have the lowest deviation between the ceiling floor in the offseason. They've kind of burst through that ceiling of what I thought they had. I just was like, no way this team could be like a five seed type. But right now, if you look at their, the fact they're 16 and three, they're five and one in the big 12. I know they've played one of the easier big 12 schedules, but they look like a team that could be a five seed right now. Yeah, that was a, a good matchup for them though. Oklahoma um, scheme wise, because their, their guards are Texas Tech's guards are really shifty and Oklahoma plays a lot of um, deep drop coverage. So, as they tend to do, Texas Tech had a great game against that drop coverage. But yeah, they're, um, the splits between their offense and defensive metrics are crazy in league play. Like, who would have thought this McCaslin team would be the best offense in the Big 12 and near the bottom defensively? Um, you know, I would have said that they were a great defensive team who would have trouble scoring against Big 12 defenses, but it's been the total opposite. 
you know, they're hitting 40% from three, but they're also allowing 40% from nearly 40% from three. Um, yeah. So it's kind of, kind of hard to get a, a pulse on how real they are. And as you mentioned, their big 12 schedule has not been difficult whatsoever. Yeah. And like the thing about that is like, it wasn't just the coach that made me think that they would be like a McCaslin team in the off season. It was the personnel too. Like, it wasn't right. a team that was stocked with scorers. They brought in the front court from the number six two-point defense in the country last year in Arizona State. They, right. I mean, I I really thought that this had the makings of like a, a worse, like I didn't, I didn't think they would be better than what North Texas was last year because they didn't have a Tyler Perry. And they haven't needed a Tyler Perry because they gotten offensive contributions from a lot more people than I thought they would. And it's just, they don't make much sense, but they're starting to make sense because I'm starting to see it more and I'm starting to be less surprised by it as the games go on. Yeah. It's been way steadier on the ball than I projected that they'd be as well. Yeah. Big, big week coming up for them this week, even though they still don't get into, they still don't, they have Kansas and Iowa State in mid in mid February, but this week TCU on the road and then home against Cincinnati. You got to hold serve against Cincinnati. If you win at TCU, that's a statement. Um, I mean, winning at Oklahoma in itself is definitely a statement. I know Oklahoma has really struggled in Big Twelve play, but now that's back to back home losses for Oklahoma, and I wouldn't. They're not slipping towards the bubble, but that reality. The reality is that this is not the team that was we thought would be a top 10 type team after however many weeks of the season. Yeah. That was ranked in the top 10 after however many weeks in the season. I know I had them there just because, like, they hadn't lost. <laughs> and I was impressed with some of their performances. But even then, um, Iowa hasn't been quite as good maybe as they once looked. USC is nowhere near what they were projected to be Arkansas obviously as well and Providence they killed them with Hopkins so I'm just gonna not think about that but Oklahoma is falling yeah and McCollum your old old friend of yours he has looked like um an up transfer against elite big 12 defenders recently so you know that's a problem when he creates so much of your offense too I mean, I watched a lot of him last year. I saw a bunch of those games in person, really close up, uh, like at St. Peter's, really, really close up. And just, he's so thin. Like, I know he's listed at 6'2", 160, but, like, he's he he's so thin, like, when you see it in yeah. person. And love the guy. So shifty, so, such just a great shot maker, can do a lot of things for you. But... There, there's a reason that I thought he was going to be an A-10 player when he entered the portal. Yeah. It just kind of feels with Oklahoma, like the talent level of the Big 12 caught up to them. Like you, you said it, Sam. It, their schedule didn't end up being as good as we thought it was. Like all those, fo- those four wins against high majors in non-con that they had, like none, all of them might miss the NCAA tournament. So, like, yeah, you obviously got the road win at Cincinnati but last week, but dropping both two home games to Texas and Texas Tech is 
really brutal and frankly missed opportunities. Yeah, and the next thing that I kind of want to get into there, I haven't thought about this, but it just came to my mind. And if nothing comes to mind, then we'll just move on. But we've mentioned a lot of teams whose schedules have aged poorly. Mm-hmm. Is there anyone that jumps out as a schedule that's aged really well mm-hmm. compared to what we thought? Let me think about that for a second. I'm just I'm trying to think about that as well. Um, maybe just kind of look through some of these teams. God, it's just I mean I mean Dayton kind of fits that a little bit. I mean, aside, yes. from, aside from the loss to Chicago State, Northwestern's been really good. Houston's awesome. And then, like, Oakland is really good, and they played them. They, they killed them. Cincinnati is better than we thought they would be. SMU is way better than we thought they would be. Youngstown State's figured it out. LSU is what, they, is what we thought they would be. But I think overall for Dayton, that's one of them, I would say, a schedule that has aged pretty well. Yeah. I'm trying to think who else has had – I was searching, like, non-conference strength of schedule type stuff. I have a, like, kind of sneaky one for you. Like, right, what? their non-con schedule wasn't thought of to be super good, and they did lose a couple, like, not-so-good games. But, like, Miss State has played a lot of team. They played a lot of teams in non-con that, like, we would describe, Sam, as, like, mid-majors you don't want to schedule because, like, you could lose to them, and they, like, don't really help your resume if you win. But, like – North Texas has been good. Tulane started play has played really well lately. Like Washington State's up to forty four in, in Ken Palm. They won that game by twelve in neutral, and then North, they played Northwestern too and beat them. Yeah, I just found another one. I mean, Florida State, Georgia's better than we thought. Colorado's better than we thought. North Carolina's better than we, I mean. Oh wait, yeah, that's a conference game, but whatever. South Florida's been good. SMU's been good. Florida's been pretty solid. Winthrop and Lipscomb have been pretty solid. But, I mean, that's not a tournament team anyway. SMU actually is a team I would mention. They have been so close, a couple different bounces. They were leading in second half against Wisconsin, lost by two to Dayton, lost by two to Arizona State, lost by three to Memphis. Two to North Texas. I mean, my God, those games. Yeah, a couple different bounces. They're like, you know, a sneaky bubble team. I mean, they still are, but. I, I don't see them getting in just like yeah with those metrics. I, I mean, they have, they have seven losses, three in the American. I mean, I know that they're all on the road in the conference, but like I, I just don't see them as a team that's going to stock up. They don't have the chances to get enough wins. That they just no, don't. They've all, yeah, at FAU is about all they have left. I mean, they, they, don't, they don't have any good wins. Like Florida State's their best win. Yeah. But, yeah, just in terms of a uh, sneaky good schedule that if they had – hit, you know, just one or two more shots, they would be right there. Yeah. Um, we did kind of – one more thing um, that we kind of discussed yesterday that I mi- that I want to get a little more – just kind of, Jonathan, want to hear what you have on it. We kind of talked about Holtman last week a lot, but it's it's at a point where it's not tenable anymore mm-hmm. after this loss to Northwestern. And I know we discussed how – they just weren't able to get stops late in games. They weren't able to get stops at all against Northwestern. They allowed 1.36 points per possession. Things are getting really bad. It's the second straight year that this has happened. 
it's it's untenable. Yeah, I think it might be time for change there. It's I've never been a huge Chris Holtman guy to begin with, but I think there are a lot of things, or at least some things he does, that are very, not easy fixes, but things that haven't been fixed that are kind of a year-by-year thing. Like, for a while, I thought he did a very good job, a very bad job developing and, like, recruiting like pure like bigs and rim protectors. Obviously, he got he has Felix Akpara now, so he did try to address that. But it just seems like at some point, if you lose enough close games, at some point it's not just variance. It's a at some point it's coaching, and frankly, in the Big Ten there are a lot of close games. A lot of teams get home wins, and Ohio State over the last couple of years has really failed to close out games and. Went on the road too. Jordan, anything? Yeah, um, yeah. From Ohio State people, um, he is the seat is beyond um, Scarlet Hot for a Ohio State reference. But um, he lately the issue has been he's been getting big time talent like um, oh why can't I think of the guy last year who uh, last uh, year um, yeah since of all yeah. And then, uh, you know, Thornton and then not making them into a winnable product or, a, you know, a product that wins games. And they kind of just hijacked the team, Sensabaugh especially last year. And, you know, he used to be a guy who was known for his deep playbook and the kind of motion principles they ran. They don't it, they just don't do that anymore. And I think that's speaking to getting talented guys in and then not being able to fit like build a system around them and they kind of just take over and it's not a, you know, product that's winning, obviously. By the way, game opening kill shot for the Lobos, JT Toppin just drains, um, I think think JT Toppin just drained a three, which doesn't happen often, but 10 nothing. Ridiculously fun team. Yeah, I mean, (laughs) I... I love this team so much. I mean, it's not just because they have Nelly Jr. Joseph on the team, but I mean, you just look at Donovan Dent might be the most fun player in the country. Jalen House is so great, and JT Toppin's awesome, and they 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 got something cooking, man. They are probably going to be either number one or number two in my mid major top twenty five. It's going to be either them or Dayton, because I'm assuming they're going to win this game. They're 24th in Ken Palm right now. They're actually ranked ahead of Dayton in Ken Palm right now. They are a wagon. Nevada's yep. Nevada's 80th in Ken in not in Ken Palm. Nevada's 80th in Torvik since like Christmas Day. Yeah, like, Nevada. They, they did this last year too. Yeah, it's the same deal. Um, last year they were they were also just never quite as high last year in the metrics. They actually right. kind of got high during conference play when they because <laughs> the Mountain West is a buzzsaw and it, <laughs> the Mountain West will raise your Ken Palm even if you're not winning. Um, yeah. I mean, it helps to beat Utah State by 15 and San Diego State and New Mexico on the road. But regardless of that, the fact of the matter is New Mexico last year was five and two at sorry, they were five and two, six and three around this point they were 19 and three as well they're gonna they're probably going to get to 18 and three today 
Last year they were 19 and 3. They finished 21 and 10. Are you concerned at all about maybe that happening again? You know, this for I um, wrote about this, but this is such like um, an inflection point game for them, this Nevada game, because Alfred has never lost to New Mexico since he can't, went to Nevada. So this is like kind of, you know, Peyton Manning beating the Patriots for a, a, a Sam reference there. Like, I think if they get past this game, they kind of um, become like they don't have a repeat of last year. If the, if they, you know, doesn't a great start to this game, but if they end up losing this, like, you know, Nevada's big guards um, just kept backing them down last year in every game they played. And uh, I could see it kind of shooting their confidence a little bit. And then, like you said, there's just so many um, gauntlet games in the Mountain West that it could kind of pile up. So I think this is such a huge game in terms of how their season goes from here. If they kind of, you know, hit the skids a little bit or if they just continue to be a wagon. Jonathan, anything from the resident Richard Patino doubter? Yeah, it's weird. Like, I, like, don't think Patino's a great coach, but I really like this New Mexico team. Like, very unsure what I'm going to end up doing with them in the NCAA tournament because, you know, I tend to lean coaches in the tournament. And even though, like, I really like this team, I just – they're so complete. They're not super deep, but the top five is just a ridiculous group. And Donovan Dent being their best guard this year has been a, a very pleasant surprise. All right. So let's now kind of just broaden out where we stand in the college basketball season right now. And I kind of just want, I kind of like what we just did with New Mexico, just kind of compare it to where we stood at this point last year because. I think that that's not something that I really tend to think about a lot, but I, I'm going to do it right now because let, let's take let's take a look. So last year at this time, number one in Ken Palm was Houston. Number two was Tennessee, Alabama, UCLA, Purdue, UConn. And there were a bunch of teams that ended up falling. A bunch of teams that ended up falling pretty far were, let, let's see, um, Utah, they fell 35 spots after this day last year. Florida fell 31. Um, Ohio State obviously fell a, b- a bunch. Um, Rutgers, when Mog got injured, Virginia fell a ton. There's kind of a theme, obviously, with those with Rutgers and Virginia there, and then because they they couldn't really because those teams ended up not being able to score. Um, Ohio State ended up not being able to get a stop. Um, are there any teams that we kind of think are are like paper tigers right now? I mean, we kind of just we kind of decided that Auburn was a semi paper tiger over the weekend. But are there any other teams that we think are paper tigers? I think in the current top ten, I would be most concerned about North Carolina. Um, it just the shooting against them in ACC play is just you know hilariously bad right now i think sub like around 25 percent from three um they haven't really played anybody in the acc as well and uh i just think there's some issues with the size of their guards as well um you know 
I think that they have the biggest chance of taking a fairly steep drop. Yeah, I've I've been I've been kind of thinking about this. And Jonathan, you texted me yesterday. What actually you tell me what you texted me. About UNC? Carolina. Yeah. Oh, it was it was today, I think, right? It was, it was. So it's weird. And like the here's like the example I guess I can kind of use. Purdue plays Rutgers today, and Rutgers starts coming back. Everyone's locked in on it. Everyone's like, oh, yeah, like not super great look for Purdue that they're playing this way, which I think is fair criticism. But that seems to happen a lot with Purdue when they're playing kind of down to an in-conference opponent. And granted, I don't, I don't think the Big Ten's very good, but the ACC is also not very good. I don't feel like UNC gets the same criticism when they play down to teams. Like they were playing really bad at stretches. Yeah yesterday against florida state the week before at boston college they weren't playing very well and i just don't i think they get the positivity that surrounds a top five ten team but they don't get the criticism of a top five ten team when they play bad yeah like i remember when they beat syracuse and they just all of a sudden whoa people are ranking them number one and i said this last week and i just didn't get it and i still don't get it i just, I don't, I, I don't think Armando Baycott's a superstar. I don't think this R.J. Davis stuff is sustainable. Yeah. Um, I mean, he's he's never been a, a freaking forty two percent shooter on on volume. He's he's never been this. He's he's never had a, a offensive rating like one twenty five on this type of volume. Like, no, it's it, this is. This is not going to sustain the fact that the fact of the matter is he's he's a superstar. Davis is a superstar. He's an All-American, but he's playing above his station right now. And I just think that he's going to come down to earth and it's really eventually going to come down to whether they get more, I think, out of Cormac Ryan going forward, more out of Harrison Ingram going forward. I think those are the I think those are the key in, uh, pieces going forward on the offensive end that I'm going to need to. I mean, and they've been great, but how much easier does it make when R.J. Davis is hitting 40 percent of his threes, and the, and you are basically playing from ahead because nobody else can make a shot? I don't believe that this defense is as good as the metrics say it is. I don't think that. I mean, they, they don't force turnovers. They don't. They're, they're a good rebounding team. I mean, Armando's great at that, but I don't think Armando's all too great of a rim protector, honestly, for a guy that's a dominant 6'11 center in college basketball. I don't think he's a great rim protector. Uh, I don't think he does a lot of that type of stuff, and I think they've been hustling a lot better this year than last year. They've been all, they've been more, um, they've been more invested, but at what point do they then begin to run out of gas? Because, again, this is a super thin team, and Carolina, I never saw them. I know they have this long winning streak, but I never saw them the same way a lot of people did. And granted, it's hard to not rank them as a top five, six in the country right now. But like, I still think Duke is right there with them in terms of best team in the ACC. Yeah. Um, something we haven't mentioned as well. Cadeau on the ball has helped Davis a lot but he's also struggled against elite competition um, at which he has not seen in the ACC yet. 
so, you know, something to keep an eye on um, when we get to, uh, you know, playing Duke or I guess that's about it for the for the rest yeah, of the ACC. And, and get to the point that we're prop there's they're on a collision course to play three times. It's going to happen. But then what happens when we get to the NCAA tournament and Carolina's like 27 and five or something. And they're one seed. And, and they get eight seeded TCU who, or not, maybe not TCU or eight seeded Colorado who is physical and has bodies and can move the ball like crazy. Or if they get eight seeded, St. John's or something like that, who's mm-hmm. super well coached. I, I just think there's a lot of mismatches that can eventually be exploited with this Carolina team that the ACC just isn't good enough to exploit. Yeah. I think it's super interesting if you look like really into their schedule so far in conference play because they've played like five road games and nobody has scored 70 points in those road games against them yet. And then you look even further into it and realize that the teams that they've played on the road so far in three, in terms of three point shooting in conference are ninth, 10th, 13th, 14th, and 15th in the ACC. Yeah. All right. Um, then on the other side of the spectrum, are there any teams that you could see really rising up the metrics um, over the next, over the next couple of months of season for what it's worth the team's, the notable teams that did that the most last year were um, South Alabama. North Texas did a really good job of it. Um, UAB, Indiana State did did it well. Um, I'm just looking for some more high majors now. Uh, Villanova, when they got Justin Moore back. Um, Cincinnati jumped up. Michigan jumped. FAU. Michigan State as well. And I, I, I honestly think Michigan State is – this year pretty good like overall they're i know they've lost eight games but they've looked they, they've had they've had a lot of games recently where i thought i thought they've looked good compared to the amount of games where i thought they've looked bad and i think they're i mean they're 18 again it's not like they're it's not like they're gonna rise up a ton that's probably around where they are maybe even lower than that but i think they get a lot of hate for a team that i don't think is all that bad um, a team that I think could rise, though. Jonathan, you want to go here? Uh, yeah, sure. I think just kind of scrolling. Well, I've been super impressed with Washington State lately. Like, got two really big home wins this week against the Mountain teams in the Pac-12, and I just, just think like as like they lost a lot of talent from last year's team, and I also like. I'm with you, Sam. I think Kyle Smith's a very good coach. And I think just like the way they've been playing, I like wouldn't be super surprised if they like started to play their way into real bubble conversation and picked up some big wins at home and on the road here. I'm also trying to look through here and see who I could really see jumping. Um, I think uh, Maryland is a good candidate. Yeah, I was thinking about that. That was another one I was going to throw out. Yeah. They figure um, they seem to figure something out. Yeah, Kaiser's hitting some shots. Long is hitting some shots. It's not just um, Jameer Young. I mean, it's still a ton of Jameer Young, but they just need a modicum of shooting from anybody, which they've kind of gotten the past two games. And this is a typical Willard defense. 
I mean, they're the best defense in the Big Ten currently. So, you know, that's a team that could really make some noise uh, down the stretch here. I'm going to give you one here. Florida State. Yeah. Uh, I really like – I mean, I, I obviously got to see them not necessarily close up, but in person on when Tuesday at the Dome. And, I mean, Jameer Watkins has been one of my favorite players in the country. Their offense has looked so much better since mm-hmm. Bruno Spears has come back. Um, I mean, they've he's he's made life so much easier for them. They've they're six and three in the ACC. They're seventy third. They have opportunities to to rise. I mean, they're only eight point Ken Palm favorites against Louisville, and they're actually Ken Palm underdogs at Boston College. They can. I think they're significantly better than both of those teams. I think they'll handle both of them, and they could be fifty eighth in Ken Palm by the Virginia game on the tenth. I like what I think Leonard Hamilton has kind of figured out how to use this team yep. a little more. Um, Baba Miller is um, starting to become more consistent and figure stuff out. They have Darren Green in the backcourt who can who can really um, who can really shoot the ball. And I mean Josh Nickelberry coming off the bench, playing as little as he does. I mean I know he hasn't really played much in ACC play, but like that's a guy who was one of the who was one of the better scorers in the A-10 last year. Um, if they can figure out how to use him, then I think they are they can be even more dangerous. And I think Worley, he's physical. He's a good passer. They, 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 can, be, they can be really physical. They can be a matchup problem for a lot of teams. And honestly, I think they were a matchup problem in a way for Carolina. It's just that Carolina, they, it's just that they couldn't finish it against Carolina in terms of, like, they couldn't get to the line. They couldn't hit their free throws, and that's kind of yep. their Achilles' heel. Can I? Yeah, uh, can I throw out one more for you guys? Go ahead. Um, you Sam, you're gonna laugh. UCLA. No, they've I'm been, not gonna laugh. Yeah. They've been playing better basketball. They've been right. the best. Def- yeah. They've been the best defense in the Pac-12 this year, and over like overall, like their schedule looks very manageable, like the rest of the way. Like you, just reading off some games here, their next month or so, you have. Oregon team's coming to you. You have the NorCal trip on the road, which both those games are very winnable. You have the Mountain team's coming to you. Then you have USC at home, and then you end the year with – you have the Washington trip, and then the Arizona team's at home. Like this- I said this last night. The Utah game was a very big wake-up call for them. Mm-hmm. By the way, New Mexico's still up 23-8 to now and running in transition. And a mid-range, no good. All right, but still 23-8. to but yeah, all three of those teams, Maryland, um, Florida State, and UCLA, I like a lot. And they all have the same characteristic of um, elite defense. And a veteran great, coach. And yeah, great coach, uh, defensive coaches especially, and just need any form of offense, you know, um, and that kind of can come as the year progresses. Yeah, and I think this is a time of year where you start to see those veteran coaches remember that they're veteran coaches and like get things back on track. Like Mark Schmidt's going to the St. Bonaventure is going to be just fine. They killed St. Joe's because Billy Lang sucks and Mark Schmidt doesn't. And like, look, it's, it's that simple. Like not much more happened at that game. Billy Lang stinks. He should be fired. And I've been saying this for a while. And Mark Schmidt is really good. And I remember like, it's just so hard to do it's so hard to have any success at St. Bonaventure and Schmidt's just built them into a consistently good A-10 team. They're three and four right now, but like 
they go they have VCU at home. They could I mean Ryan Odom's a great coach, but and I think VCU is also a team that's kind of surging right now. I think they could move up a bit, but I think they can handle them. They can handle UMass, they can handle Duquesne. Like I think St. Bonaventure, by the time we get to late February, is in the NIT, is right in that NIT picture. I'll th- can I I'll throw out one more for a team that can keep falling or like fall really far. Go ahead. Uh the the other team in LA, like I know they're already like sitting at ninety fourth, but it's not getting with the, any with the with the injuries they have and like Enfield's probably losing his job. Like it, it feels like they could just check out and kind of just fall apart. Yeah, I mean I know that's a veteran. I mean they coach. already have they already are falling apart. I know that's a I know it's a veteran coach that fits that criteria, but he's also not a great coach, and we've kind of established that. The fact mm-hmm. of the matter is that they've made one second weekend in over a decade with that budget and that pull and with those expectations, the fact of the matter is that he's got to go. Like, and I've been saying this, it's, it's the, it's the most desirable job in the country because you can stay there for 10 years with no success, make a sh- crap load of money, live in live in Beverly Hills and and basically not have any expectations to do anything more than you really need to. He's set he Andy Enfield might never if he never coaches another game of basketball in his life, he has enough money to put his to put his grandchildren through college. So like <laughs> the fact of the matter is that he's just like he's it's apathy from that fan base because they don't have a basketball fan base. It took Lincoln Riley coming over to build back their football fan base. It's just such an easy job to stay in and not really make any waves in if you're just fine. But the fact of the matter is any great coach should be able to break through there. Yep. All right. I don't think we got much more, but tomorrow, Duke, Virginia Tech, Houston, and Texas. Those are the two big – those are the only two games really worth talking about tomorrow. Yep. Every other game is, like, SWAC. They have SWAC, Southland. No, it's not, not the SWAC. It's just the Southland. Um, no, there are SWAC games. Yeah, there. Monday is always SWAC-tion. Yeah, yeah SWAC. I was going to say, don't, don't disrespect the SWAC-tion. MIAC. Um, there is one Patriot League game. Not, not that that's much better than the Miak or the Swack this year. Yeah, but the it Patriot is- League always gets that uh, Monday night CBS Sports game. Yeah, that's um, BU and Holy Cross. BU coming off that win against Lafayette, which we talked about a- very briefly last night. I just had to mention the Otto Landrum performance um, from the from the um, viral. The, the most random viral TikTok of the year. <laughs> you're gonna have to send, you're gonna have to send this to me. <laughs> you haven't seen the Auto Landrum. I am unfamiliar with the Auto Landrum TikTok as well. <laughs> All right. Anyway, then Tuesday's the really fun day. Um, early this week. Um, I'll definitely be in the bunker after my class ends, watching a bunch of basketball. We'll have. Plenty of fun guests come on that night because that's a big night of basketball. 
any games that stand out to you that might not stand out to others? On Tuesday? Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, San Diego State and Colorado State, that's going to stand out for everyone. But Dutcher is going to have a week of prep for that one for an offense that's really good, but he has schemed really well against um, in prior matchups. So one, game that, one game that I will absolutely not have my eye on is the most uninteresting team in the country, Oklahoma State against Kansas. Um, but I again, to say I, that. <laughs> yeah, um, one team that, again, I think could be one game that I think could be pretty fascinating is the Loyola Marymount Gonzaga game because I was gonna that was gonna be mine. Loyola Marymount is a fun team. They they were fun when I watched them against Yale. They were fun when I watched them yesterday against St. Mary's. They were they've been there. They got some fun guys. Um, they got Justice Hill. They've got they got Justice Hill back from injury. They, they've got Dom Harris, who's the who's the um, Gonzaga transfer. So that's a revenge game for him. And yep. it's Gonzaga has looked vulnerable, but they've looked better. And I just want to see, we talked about this with Josh on um, Thursday, Gonzaga being better. Are they like, how much better is better for Gonzaga at this point? Mm-hmm. Yeah. We got, we got some fun rivalries on Tuesday. You got the egg bowl, egg bowl basketball edition. You got Texas tech TCU. You have Tom Izzo against whoever's coaching for, the team in maize and blue these days. It's Sharon Moore. Tom Izzo against Sharon Moore. Just let him coach basketball. It can't be any worse than the product we're putting out there now. What was that? Pre- what was that um, sideline interview that he did after the game? What was it like something ridiculous? Oh, he was just like he was just like crying, and like people were making fun of him. It, it was, was. It was a wild. Um, it was that was a wild day. Yeah, one more note on that uh, LMU Gonzaga game. LMU won at the Kennel last year. Yeah, uh, oh, that's right. So yeah, that's their huge uh, home winning streak and massive. I forget what it was, but um, WCC home winning streak specifically. We had a, we had a so, piece on that and mid major madness. Yeah, a little uh, extra juice in that one. Yeah, let me find that. Um, it was can't find it. But yeah, something crazy like years and years where Gonzaga hadn't lost the WCC game at home. Yeah, it was it was absolutely wild. I bet I can find it very soon. I want um, yeah, I want to say it was like BYU in 2018 or something was the last, or probably St. Mary's in 2018. It was. Let's see. Oh my God! We have a lot of articles mentioning the mentioning the word Gonzaga. <laughs> okay, seventy six. Yeah, seventy six game home winning streak, and it was a twenty five game winning winning streak against Loyola. Wow. Which. That's insane. All right, Jordan. Thank, um, thank you so much for joining us tonight, Jonathan. You want to take yep. us home? 
I would love to take us home, Sam. If you came here to hear about Tyler Self's job and where he's currently working, you came to the right place. If you came to hear about Rick Pitino being in apparently Albuquerque, New Mexico on January 28th, well, then you came to the right place. And if you heard, if you came here to hear about what's going on with Caleb Grill and what he's up to, well, you came to the right place. This is Brackets, Bubbles, and Bid Stealer Season 4, Episode 37. We'll see you tomorrow night.